because, because I'm a hot girl. I do hot shit. Because I'm a hot girl. It's been a really long time since we did this, although we were just talking to each other like, what, like three days ago? <laughs> something like that? Yeah, I think it's because like we're off schedule or something. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know, it's, it's something about um, like missing a week that is just like so weird, even though we've, we haven't been doing this that long. It's very strange. Anyway, I missed you. <laughs> I know. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Hot Girl Agenda. It's your host, Rara, and... Hi, it's Yessi. What's up, everyone? Hey, so um, I don't know if y'all follow us on Twitter, but uh, we just, uh, we have a Twitter. It's at Hot Girl Agenda. And we just relaunched our Patreon. So we have some new tier names. There's a couple little more benefits. And then we have stickers for the $5 patrons. Yay, who doesn't love a free sticker? Ooh. Um, we love stickers. That's great. There's so much we we're gonna be doing in the next couple of months. Like I can already feel us like ramping up like content and stuff, and I'm like super excited for it. So it's like I want to do something really nice for the um, subscribers that have been with us since like the beginning. So I'll be doing that mm. soon and doing like a little thank you thing. Um, and yeah, we have like a ton of bonus content coming up, including a special Bridgerton episode. Oh yes, we're discussing Bridgerton episode one. Um, can't wait to do that accent the entire the entire episode. episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it it's not gonna get. Uh, it's gonna be totally relaxing, and everyone's gonna love it. Just turn, just get an ASMR mic. Yeah, join our Patreon so that Rara can have an ASMR mic so that she can do the Bridgerton accent with full force. Um, yeah, I've been watching way too much Bridgerton. I actually, like, have watched, like, four or five episodes now. Me too. Oh, my God. Okay. Me too. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I was like, I don't want to, like, spoil anything because I'm not sure how much of it they they watched. But, like, I was like, oh, I am sucked in. I am sold. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, if you are a Patreon (laughs) subscriber at this point, this episode will be available very, very soon. We're recording it right now. Yeah, so, um, so, Yessie, what have you been up to this week? Oh, my goodness. So, um, I think... My chapter, so I'm in DSA, uh, you know, um, here in San Diego, and I think, you know, um, like many chapters, we're gearing up to start uh, organizing around the PRO Act, um, protecting our right to organize, and it passed the House last week, and so it's going to be a big uphill battle to get it through the Senate, so um, if you are a DSA member, or even if you're not, there are a ton of uh, phone banking opportunities where you can... um, phone bank to constituents and senators that might be, you know, that are kind of on the fence about it. And this is really crucial um, for labor organizing, for the work that DSA does. Um, yeah, so we've been we've been getting ready for that. Um, and uh, that, that's been the bulk of my bulk of my organizing life. And then in my non-organizing life, it was my birthday. Yay. Happy belated birthday. Thank you. Yeah. What have you been up to? Well, just now I realized that I had put concealer on one of my pimples on my face, but I did not put foundation on top of it. So I just oh, noticed that right now. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've got <laughs> it's, it's green concealer on me. Yeah. Um, so that just happened. That was a very uh, interesting moment. But I'm also going to be helping out with the Pro Act uh, campaign yeah, yeah. for my chapter. I, I signed up for some phone banking, uh, what is it, Times, I guess. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, uh, I'm just going to try to like, this is such a cool campaign. It's so freaking cool. It's a great moment to be part of something right now because it's like, this is so freaking important. We got to pass this. This is like crucial 
for labor rights. I know a lot of people don't like DSA, but it's like, if you can find someone else that's phone banking around it, go for it. But the DSA sites, it's right there. And you can do it through us, so. Super yeah. easy. And it's not like you even have to talk to any, like, jean jacket Connors anyway, so. Yeah, you don't have to talk to any DSA people. I <laughs> just talk to regular people. <laughs> Huge bonus for a lot of people. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> uh, I love roasting us. I love it so I know. much. It's so, I know. it's so much better than when, like, outsiders roast If us. you self-own, no one can own you. Exactly. It's like, is that like the, the own, like the self-own session? It's a new struggle session. <laughs> Mouse crying in his grave right now. He's just like, no, God, That's no. not what I meant. <laughs> oh my God. There's a lot of philosophers this week that are like rolling in their graves for like the misapplication of like really obscure ph- philosophical terms and shit, um, which Ooh. we'll get into. Um, that sounds like really... Really weird um, until you know what we're talking about. But there's some other stuff going on this. Oh, I didn't say what was going on with me this week. Oh, I might be helping out with a group that is trying to organize dancers in Atlanta. Um, So I just got in touch with them. They're trying to start a union. And they're like, what are your ideas? What da 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 da? And I was like, I want to work on this so much. So I'll be uh, helping out with that this year. Very excited about that. Hell yeah. That's kind of, that's the main thing that's been going on with me this week. And I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing um, always. So so much Animal Crossing. So much Animal Crossing. I have like such a it's, – it's like the game I just keep coming back to. It's like everything else can get like boring or frustrating, but that game is like always fulfilling. So I just keep coming back to it. It's so soothing. It is so soothing. And it's like where else can you just like have your own house? Like have your own yeah, – like, right? Develop infrastructure? Like <laughs> – I've got get I've got interest on your savings now. account. <laughs> yes, yes, I've got the whole house now, and I'm like, oh, this shit. is the only place I'll ever be a homeowner. How um how big is it? I only have two rooms. I have so it's it's three small rooms on the side. There's a full size upstairs and a full size basement. What? Oh my god! I really I need to expand my house. I have I've only done I it once because it's so expensive and I hate having loans. So I'm like, <laughs> I hate having loans. It 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 gets into the deep working class growing up working class and always being poor uh anxiety that i have to have like outstanding balance even <laughs> yeah, though it's exactly. fucking bells which is not <laughs> real money and there's like ample opportunities to like pay it off or whatever you have forever the rest of your right. life on the goddamn game but it's still just like uh, uh, debt collection are they gonna call me uh, yeah. yeah and you got resources all over and you're in charge of your own resources you're in charge of your own building and, and city planning and it's just yeah. like it's so freaking satisfying oh also i got like uh, I went crazy and got all the Mario, Nintendo, like, Mario drops that they had. Me too. Like, all, all of the outfits. I got, <laughs> like, all of the little block things, and I'm going to make, like, a, a my own special, like, Mario garden. I'm so very excited about that. Um, have you set up your pipes yet? No, I haven't set up my pipes yet. I don't know what they, what anything does. I just bought a shitload. Like, oh. I was like, okay, I got to get, I got to get enough capital to get, like, all this shit. So I got, like, extras of everything because I was like, I don't know when the, when they're going to stop doing this promotion. And I was like, even yeah. though I don't have any place to put them, I'm just like, I bought all this shit. Uh, yeah. So that's Hell been, yeah. like, my past week is just, like, uh, gathering stuff to sell and then buying the Mario stuff because I'm, oh, and building my, like, one of my inclines, um, which was very nice. expensive. So Well done. But anyway. <laughs> I was so I'm gonna be doing like an Animal Crossing stream I think in the very near future I just have to like optimize my fucking laptop for it Um, Uh so look out for that Uh, I'll probably announce that on like the Patreon as well at some point 
Anyway, um, so yeah, that's uh, our very important lives in Animal Crossing. Um, we have such a rich community. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many leftists are like playing Animal Crossing. Like, there's got to be like a server or something. A server? Yeah, for Animal Crossing. I don't know. We sh- Yeah, like a Discord server for anti-capitalist. I would Animal love. Crossing. I would love that. <laughs> Please invite us. At us. Um, I'm going to look into it. I bet there's one that exists already. And if you know what it is, you should invite us so we can visit each other's islands. But anywho, <laughs> so, so those now that we got through those extremely important topics, let's move on to like less important stuff, but still pretty cool. DSA Woo. Nevada. Woo. Damn, dogs. Congrats, comrades, because damn, you pulled pulled it out with this one. I just like kind of lifted a lot of this stuff from this Intercept article I was reading. So I'm just going to read out what happened with uh, DSA Nevada. So on March 6th, a coalition of progressive candidates backed by the local DSA chapter took over leadership of the Nevada Dem Party, sweeping all five party leadership positions. So this was a coordinated effort between several local groups, including uh, the DSA chapter and then Clark County Left Caucus, of which uh, Judith Whitmer is the chair. Um, So she will tell you a little bit uh, more about her, but she's also now the newly elected chair for the NDP. So, um, Yessi, what happened after Judith Whitmer won chair and this slate won? Oh, God. The shit show from the establishment. (laughs) The whole whole walking out, quitting. Who was it? It was the the party's ED, right? The executive director. And then... Alana Mounts, Alana Mounts, I think is. Oh, yeah. Alana, honey. Such a good chill name. <laughs> Alana, honey, what are you doing? What are you doing? So so she... Okay, so I actually... So in the same article, it does explain that she is... Um, she was hired by the DNC to be a political coordinator, like, last month. So she... This was like... A, they, I think they anticipated this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I don't see somebody, like, quitting something like that without a job lined up, which is crazy because all of the employees quit and the consultants. The consultants. So... Let me tell you something about consultants oh. <laughs> in, elect- in in mainstream electoral organizing, like big status campaigns. Consultants are the biggest grifters of the whole fucking game, like straight up, especially the comms consultants. Like I am singling them out right now because what they do, they show up, they have these contracts that are airtight and watertight that say such that It doesn't matter if you win or lose the race. They're always going to they're always going to get a certain amount of pay and they're going to get any refunds for credits that were spent on media that didn't get used. They will get to pocket that money. That's like built that's standard consultant contracting. Right. So they never fucking try. They never do anything. In fact, it's it is more beneficial for them to just like do jack shit. And it is like it is the biggest grift in campaign organizing at that level that is just i i just i hate it so much i hate consultants it's on site it's on site consultants but also when i read this i was just like oh no not the consultants (laughs) stop come back like who the fuck like are you kidding you're so replaceable you know how many people would just take ndp money like the thing that's so fucking silly about this is like the dems like threw a fucking hissy fit basically and we're like we're not fucking playing this game and it's like good get out of there we'll replace you all with fucking leftists in those positions i Mm. i could see that going like 
like so well for Nevada. Just having a, an entire staff that is like that committed and laser focused on the issues of the working class is like so fucking cool. Like when I read that, I was just like, bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's like, that's so key, like super key to have to have that space for progressive organizers to come in and actually change the party, especially in a state like Nevada, which is like Nevada is like a really complicated state. Like, you know, there's there's been a lot of like conservative push. It's a very two way friendly state. So it's really cool to see to see this progressive like tide rising. Yeah, definitely. I don't know, just like the pettiness of this story really got to me. Mm. I was like, you know, we always knew the Dems were doing everything they could to sabotage like actual progressive like candidates. But this is just like continued proof that they would literally rather work with Republicans than they would with progressives. Mm. Like how, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just so crazy that this was the reaction. Party loyalty over everything, right? But it's like, the worst part about it is that it's, it's, party loyalty to like it's click loyalty right because the party is clearly shifting you know right right so it's it's click loyalty it's like it's like just yeah that's to your, very like, true your little your little sect of the party yeah it's like they're de- democrats actually hate when democracy works because <laughs> like you know because like this is what happens they're like oh no like this is not what we want at all bye and then they're like wow can't believe they played us dirty like that it's just like by winning an election it's like uh-huh. fuck you guys you guys suck <laughs> and then they see and then of course like republicans openly gerrymander districts not a fucking peep from you know what i mean right. like just like yeah. no concern there but yeah, this is like such a great move. I was, I'm just, I've really been hyped and kind of high on this story for the last couple of days. A lot of people criticize DSA on the electoral strategies, but it's like, it's so different from state to state and even city to city that it's impossible to like say, you know, every city is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what makes it so fucking great because Nevada obviously did what worked within their electoral system and they managed to like pull out a huge W. I mean, five can five candidates, all their slate candidates passed. That's amazing. Yeah, and got a, and got a, a, a anointed, <laughs> appointed, holy <laughs> candidate, anointed. <laughs> no, and and I think you know if 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 it's okay for me to talk a little DSA shop. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a transition, an intentional transition by the organization from a less refined electoral strategy. Whereas before, um, I think it was prior to, I want to say 2017, um, the strategy looked more like, okay, we're going to volunteer for some campaigns. They're not going to be necessarily DSA members, but we're going to, we're going to work for these campaigns and we're going to provide our labor. After the 2017 convention, the national electoral, uh, like program, uh, shifted to say, wait a second, we're, we're, we're losing resources if we do that. So we should be trying to run our own cam- uh, campaigns, our own candidates, our own people, because we're the organizers working in the community. And if we can't do that, then we should be building our own parallel sort of campaigns that allow us to keep the resources. And so mm-hmm. however you feel about that, like a lot of people have differing opinions and sometimes it works and, and the scalability of it is definitely up for debate. But on this like statewide level, you know, it, it really works, especially on the statewide to local level. It works super well. And it, it really it's really beneficial for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's just it's just a win in general for like the working class of Nevada because 
because mm. what's so great about having like a slate of candidates that's that has org um, backing is that like the more organizations involved in these slates and involved in putting people forward, um, there's accountability there because a lot of times these candidates are coming from yep. the communities themselves. They're not just like, you know, some outside, like right outside city limits, like in a fucking like McMansion or something. It's like these are real people. They have, mm-hmm. you know, they have to answer to their communities if they fuck up. I think that's a very powerful thing because it's uh, it's way easier for a congressperson totally. to avoid their constituents than it is for like city council person that lives within, you know, like a certain radius. So it's super important to have that accountability layer and to empower groups mm-hmm. to be like, hey, if you fuck up, we are holding your feet to the fire. Like we are going to be on your ass. I don't know. I love leverage. We love leverage. Yeah. We love it. And it's also if you think about the other types of organizing that, you know, um, left and progressive orgs are doing it, you know, it's a lot easier. I'm going to I'm gonna be real right now. It's a lot easier to organize when the arbiters of the state aren't like willfully against you. Just it just is those concessions are are meaningful in a short term capacity. And so like this strategy has a role in the greater constellation of organizing. So even if you don't do electoral organizing, there's still a, a net gain to having progressives who are accountable to an organization that is socialist. I'm definitely not very involved in local electoral politics, and I would like to be more. It's just not my jam. But you know what? It is so Mm-mm. it is it is very important. And I think a lot of people just kind of assume that I'm like an ele- super electoral person because I talk about electoral mm-hmm. stuff a lot on the podcast. But it's like, no, like, this is just stuff that we should be aware of. Like, even if you are even if you're not with a um, an organization, or if you're like an autonomous like collective kind of thing like local shit is just so important it's so good to just know what is actually happening and be informed i think sometimes we lose sight of that when we're you know just really deep into like our organizing work and just trying to like deal with what's right in front of you gotta kind of like be able to zoom out every now and then right yeah yeah i I feel that yeah well done, Nevada. Well done. Well done. I really, I'm excited to um, find out your opinion of this next topic. Apparently, liberal feminists are not back at brunch enough to stop coming <laughs> after just like the dumbest arguments for everything. They're just punching in the dark at a new target because they can't talk about Biden, of course. Off, I think that she's an author, right? Jill Filipovic. I've been calling her Flip a bitch because her name is very Filipovic. <laughs> I love that. Jill Filipovic is she's like an author, and she's got one of like the worst accounts on Twitter. She's just like a truly awful, annoying person. <sighs> but there was like a an advice article in Slate um, that's written by uh, Nicole Chung. And it's like people write in about like parenting issues and it's called like care and feeding. And Nicole Chung got this like letter from this guy who is basically saying my wife had her baby and now she doesn't want to go back to work. And I'm just so annoyed with her because I'm attracted to ambitious women and like I don't want to be the sole breadwinner. But just basically this guy just like I'll, I'll, I'll read out the whole letter, I think. But Jill Filipovic had to weigh in on this. She was replying to Nicole Chung's advice, which was actually, like, very good (laughs) and very restrained considering how shitty this dude was. This was the actual tweet. Do you think stay-at-home moms aren't ambitious? Plenty of them are. Welcome to intensive parenting. But to be honest, I would have a really hard time being married to someone who decided they want to direct their ambition into the sole work of raising our child. Holy smokes. Fucking yikes. (laughs) 
Also, Jill Filipovic, I don't think is married and she definitely doesn't have kids. I would like to dig into this because this is truly such a disgusting attitude to have. It, it's like girl, uh, it's like the Hegel of girl boss. Girl boss flipped on its head so much <laughs> that it is like, it's literally PMC brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Okay, so what she, so what's funny is like, I only read this horrific little thread of hers and started like getting really angry. And then I went back a day later and actually looked at the Slate article and it's so much worse. (laughs) It's so much worse, like the original content that she's replying to. Mm. I think people have lost like what should be the true target of their ire is the fucking, is the fucking dude that wrote this shit in. Suddenly the breadwinner. This guy, <laughs> this fucking guy. We found a guy, y'all. Do you want to read the like? Do you want to read the letter out and provide yeah, some color, yeah, color commentary? It. Dear Karen, feeding. I am a new father to a beautiful ten-month-old girl. My wife's company has a generous maternity leave policy, and she's been at home with our daughter since the birth, and is scheduled to go back to work just before her first birthday in January. Oh, that's really nice. Honestly, like yeah, a whole that's ass a year. Good ass. Hell yeah. Good ass plan. Mom, are you union? (laughs) Hell yeah. She recently told me she doesn't want to go back to her job and would like to be a stay-at-home parent instead. Okay. I asked her why, and she said she enjoys being a mother too much to leave our daughter to go back to work when she doesn't need to. This is such a departure from our plans before the baby was born. She has a good job that she enjoyed going to before going on leave, and she's always been adamant that she wanted to continue working even after becoming a mom. Uh, we met when we worked at the same company many years ago, and one of the things I was most attracted to was her ambition and tenacity. It's really surprising to hear that her career isn't that important to her. Okay, let's stop here. Let's stop here, because, like, Oh, my God, this this whole thing, I was just, like, apoplectic with rage. Just, like... (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay, so... Maybe some of the listeners know, maybe some don't, but I had a, I had a baby in 2019, in October of 2019. While I was pregnant, um, so I'm, you know, I'm non-binary, I'm, you know, trans, so it feels weird. It was a very weird experience. I was very resistant and I was very much like, I want to go back to work. I like hate this. This is so awful. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm super stoked to be a parent, but like I, I always, and, and here's like that weird gendered thinking, right? I always thought it would be the quote unquote dad, mm-hmm. right? You know, once once my baby was born, I was like, holy shit, this is so rad. You know, getting to spend time with this little person and like experience them is really cool. So I totally get the desire to stay home. And I think that that is like entirely legitimate. And it didn't mean that I didn't care about my career anymore. Hardly. It, it was just I had this little person that I wanted to like get to know and, and support and, you know, a career fuck capitalism man a career will be there be you know you're never gonna yeah you're never gonna get back those like you know first years especially Mm -hmm. that are Mm -hmm. so critical to like bonding with your child you know and like i I, like i don't even have a kid i i just i have a niece Mm -hmm. and i will soon have a a nephew congratulations yeah yeah he's uh doing the summer but like i feel like sad because i can't spend time with them um i haven't even met my i haven't even met Mm -hmm. my niece because Mm -hmm. um of quarantine but like i can't even imagine you know how a parent must feel it sounds like very sad to me and it sounds like something i would want to avoid it sucks. we should read the rest of the letter and then we can kind of really talk about how fucked up it is yeah okay okay let's keep going so he says 
Honestly, I don't want her to quit her job. She earns about the same as I do, and while we could make ends meet on my income alone, it would impact our ability to save, and we'd need to give up one of our cars and cut way back on extras that make life more enjoyable. I also just don't want a stay-at-home wife. I really admired my wife for her work ethic, and I want to set a good example for our daughter, too. Seeing her give up like this is really disappoint. Holy shit. Um... <laughs> I gently asked her if she thought her change in attitude could be related to a possible mental health issue. Oh, my God. Okay. Or postpartum depression. And she didn't take that well. Shocking. Shocking. She says she only cares about our daughter and that's where all her energy needs to go right now. And that if I love her, I will let her do this. I do love my wife and I'm not interested in divorce, but I'm seeing a whole new side of her that I just don't like or admire. What should I do? Signed, suddenly, the breadwinner. He doesn't admire motherhood in his spouse. It's unbelievable the fucking audacity of this dude to even write those words. I know. And to just be like, okay, like, okay, motherfucker, like, why have a kid then? Why have a kid? Yeah. Like, what did you just, it, it's this, did you just want to have it and then be like, all right, cool, nanny time? Like, because it's what you're supposed to do when you're of a certain social class and have those class expectations. I talk to these dudes like all the time at work. Uh-huh. They're, they're, they're like, they're like, you don't want kids? Like, you don't care if you get married? I'm like, no, I have never cared. Like, I, I, I actually really don't want kids now because, like, you know, very sure that I like my life the way it is and mm-hmm. I love children. I really mm-hmm. do. But it changes changes everything like it's 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 big it's scary is what i mean just the responsibility of it and i know a lot of people our age in our age bracket feel exactly the same way so i really don't think it's like a big deal and that's a legitimate it's a legitimate position to hold and a legitimate choice to make like the fact that this man is like first of all like all throughout like not to close read the letter but let's close read the letter right like all throughout the whole thing he like distances himself not just from his wife but from his child Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like dude (sighs) dude what did you think you were just gonna hire someone you were gonna outsource that shit it's really just so funny because he admits at the beginning of the letter he's like you know this isn't what we talked about before the fucking baby and it's like oh did a baby change your plans for life did, it, did a whole ass human being yeah. coming out of your partner change some things for her? Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, you're not the one that had to deal with that shit for nine months and then be like, okay, bye. Here's a nanny. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, what is that? And then this idea. So here's the thing that's like really frustrating is that because we don't have an actual culture of care around reproductive rights, like mm-hmm. it's totally like he feels totally in the right to say like, oh, you're you're like rational decision is postpartum depression or a mental health issue. <laughs> so and gaslighty. Like. It's so gaslighty and it's so <laughs> shitty. And it's like, but then again, like we don't get to talk about postpartum issues. We don't get to talk about postpartum depression, postpartum just anxiety, postpartum rage which is a very real. Like, <laughs> Believe so, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there are all these people who can who can get pregnant who don't have a way to talk about this. So then folks who don't know shit about this, who can't get pregnant, are, are able to say all this shit like, oh, like your decision is postpartum depression. And it's like, there's no recourse. There's nowhere to turn. It's like, yeah. fuck. And then you get Jill Flip a bitch. <laughs> 
Man, this was part of like a really long thread too. Cause she got like, she got called out and then she's tried to start like, she just dug herself deeper by trying to explain away like ambition and da da da. To say that it's not ambitious to raise a human being is so fucking insulting to everyone that's raising a human being. It's so insulting to an in- literally everyone. It- it's just incredible. Cause this is not the first time I've like seen her have like a super shitty take. And I just don't understand. I don't understand how feminism survived the second wave because of this fucking shit, right? This one tweet in her uh, in her massive thread. I realize this is like the third rail of mommy wars, but yeah, lots of super ambitious people marry other super ambitious people because they're attracted to ambition. I would have a really, really hard time being married to a spouse who chose not to work. First of all, <sighs> first of all, child care and child rearing is labor yes that shit is labor it's the most important labor you could argue read some federici you dum-dum but also just have some basic human empathy like Mm -hmm. how is Mm -hmm. this not a thing for mothers yet i'm sorry also it's like these two people in this scenario the mom and the dad are making about the same amount in income so what's oh so you'd have to scrimp a little like if she quit her job what about if if she could have just i don't know a part-time like job or something like Mm. it sounds like they're kind of in a situation where they could like kind of you know work something out or whatever or she could find a different job maybe that required less hours or less demand for her time Mm -hmm. but that's not even an option to him it doesn't even like come up as a possibility but it's also like I don't know if my partner was like actually like I just really want to stay home and like take care of the kid if they had their hearts set on it I would talk to them about it I would be like yeah okay so let's figure out how we can do this because I don't think the wife would want to like bankrupt them but obviously they'd be obviously they'd be fine without the monies it's definitely not a money issue from the letter here's what i think feminism this is my fucking epitaph and this is why (laughs) i get in trouble but feminism without a radical or i would say like a left politic that has an understanding of of class and um of of economics is always going to revert to this consumer driven capitalist like girl boss shit it's always going to do that because once different forms of feminism were removed from like a like a marxist framework or an anarchist framework or a anti-capitalist class understanding once they were removed from that all they could do was be subsumed by the hegemony by the curiarchy mm-hmm. right like so now your feminism is relegated to your purchase power and to your your consumption right mm-hmm. like buy these buy lululemon because it's girl boss buy mm-hmm. uh you know get that get that job and fuck everybody else because it's girl boss right like so of course uh you know this dummy jill philippa i can't even say her name right Um, of course she's like on this on this tip because she like is so adrift in her in in her politic and she just sucks uh, but also it just feels like a lot of like a lot of um i guess gen z uh, feminists have like really swallowed whole the concept of having it all. Mm. Like you can have the home life, you can have the career, like you can have the baby. And it's like, yeah, you could have it all, girl, you could do it. Why are we not examining the fact that you shouldn't have to do all of it? Mm-hmm. Why Why do we have to have it all? I think that's why a lot of people revert to more conservative family structures because the alternative is this, this, this scenario where you have to do everything 
everything. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's why, like, a lot of conservatives' arguments against feminism is like, oh, they're against the, like, they're against the family unit. It is kind of, like, anti-family to ask both parents to take on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. or ask the woman to, ask the femme person to take on fucking everything um, because she can. Like, because we believe in her. And it's just, like, such a weird, like, fucked up concept that I don't even understand how it's, I mean, I do understand how it thrives because of capitalism because it it serves capital to have that mindset but I'm really happy to see and maybe you've noticed this trend too but the new generation of feminists are just really not having that shit anymore Mm -hmm. I don't think no I agree I was just thinking about I think it was last year actually in like early spring or something Sophie Lewis came out with a piece called what was it called want to dismantle capitalism abolish the family Um, and obviously (laughs) well yeah, like kind of playing with that that rhetoric, right? But also yeah. saying like, look, no one should have to do it all. No one, no woman, a uh, partner who can get pregnant, whoever, no one should have to be the sole focus uh, of all the labor, the sole focal point mm-hmm. of all the labor. And not only is that harmful to the, the laborer, right? It's harmful to like those being cared for, like the children, mm-hmm. right? So like, yeah. why don't we think about different structures of how to like make this more equitable for everybody? And exactly. I, I think that that's scary to like the right because it, first of all, it it's a understanding of power dynamics that allows mm-hmm. for people to like use their own power. Like yeah. if a kid is uncomfortable in a situation, they can go somewhere else. If a, mm-hmm. if a, you know, a parent needs support, they have it, right? But also mm-hmm. because, um, because it, I I think like the lib the lib feminist you can have it all thing still plays into like making you know the woman or like the femme uh subjugated right subjugated mm-hmm. as a worker subjugated as a mother subjugated as the wife and that's beneficial to the right that's beneficial to like those systems it, it's also part of the spectacle right mm. because like mm-hmm. the portrayals of the portrayals of women having it all are just entirely divorced from any kind of reality for working class people totally um i mean people are out here trying to like grind like Beyonce and it's like you don't have Beyonce money Uh, Beyonce Beyonce is not one person Beyonce is a team right so there's a child care team there's a there's a hair team there's makeup there's mm-hmm. uh, personal assistance. You don't. Ha- you might have the same 24 hours as Beyonce, but you do not have the same resources. So to try to like emulate that is, I think people are just starting to see through that bullshit and just not being tolerant of it anymore. Because it's just like the. I mean, we saw in the last year, like these structures aren't. They aren't sustainable. Women working from home and taking from, care of their kids from home. It's it's too much. It's mm-hmm. way too much. But yeah, but like it's just really shocking to me though that that people are still on this. T- like you said will we ever be free of this fucking bullshit uh about like motherhood and parenting will we ever get some fucking damn empathy coming out of these policies but yeah not to get all like like serious and stuff but (laughs) sometimes you gotta get a little bit serious but anyway to all the parents out there the stay-at-home parents we love you you're important you're doing good shit don't let the haters get you down (laughs) stay up stay up All right, so I it's so funny because I keep saying like I hate talking about Twitter beef, but then I end up pulling up tweets and I'm like, look at this asshole. <laughs> Let me pull it up. Oh my god! Oh, I saw this and I was just like, you <laughs> fuck, you motherfucker. Okay, so we're about to talk to s- about something. This discourse comes up. I feel like I feel like it's like a fucking FBI account or something at this point. That's like time to start some shit mm. every month or so. It's the same fucking conversation. Okay, so we got another Twitter main character the other day who did not get ratioed, but was like the left Twitter main character, I guess. So this person on Twitter, Base Doll or whatever, uh, this is the tweet. 
Dude, imagine being 15 and having fallen down the alt-right rabbit hole, come to understand the problems with that ideology and seek out a new community, and some morally lucky fuck tells you that restorative justice doesn't count for you. Oh. <laughs> Just like, oh my God. a lot to unpack and all a of it lot. bad. Um, <laughs> Very bad. Okay, okay, moral, moral, okay. I, here's the thing, here's the thing. Let's, let's scale out and then scale back in. So this all started because someone was like, I used to be a Nazi and now I'm cool. And it's just like, okay. And everyone was like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you being all like normal about saying you were a fucking Nazi. Like. Yeah. Pretty blase, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, I saw this um, tweet from, from the homie Drew Baja Enjoyer. Um, who said, I love when these arguments come up, like these sort of like Nazi arguments, because everybody's playing with a different set of framework and definitions and rules. So someone like, you know, this Twitter main character here who who's talking about morally lucky people. Morally lucky fucks. Yeah, excuse me, excuse me. Morally yeah. lucky fucks. I feel like that's important phrasing, honestly. Indeed, indeed. But yeah, this person can just like pop off and she can say whatever and feel indignant about it when she's like so far away from like what actually happened it's absurd i feel like i'm reiterating a lot of what i said on twitter i think like yesterday or the day before it's really just annoying because this kind of shit happens every month there's like some new dipshit that comes up with this uh talks about de-radicalization in the most reckless and shitty way Mm -hmm. because bet that those conversations are happening that this discourse is circulating in real life because that's probably a real life thing that people have to deal with but i do not trust you to fucking handle that conversation Mm -hmm. to facilitate that conversation or to like speak with any kind of authority on it because of how fucking careless you are with the po- like the actual wording. This is a sensitive topic. Like this is something people should be sensitive about. Because if you are a fucking white person or white passing person, you do not get to fucking tell people how they should fucking feel about this kind of mm. stuff. Um, you don't get to tell the people that were harmed by like alt alt writers and like open Nazis and like Pepe dudes. Like you don't get to tell them how to fucking deal with this shit. It's so not intersectional. It's so lacking in empathy. You're focusing on or you're, or you're focusing on the comfort mm-hmm. of the perpetrator and not the restorative aspect for the victims. Anyway, I yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think that there's this narrative that goes around. It's like white people as passive, right? Like, so when, when, when white people commit harm, it's like, oh, well, there are all these extraneous circumstances that that led them to do that. If, if someone was a Nazi, you know, when they were they were a teenager, it's because they were led down a dark path. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think that there is there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a pipeline. Right. Like mm-hmm. and, and that is true. But to say that a person who became a Nazi just sort of like must be absolved for of any blame just because they like got led down that path is one taking away mm-hmm. their agency. Mm-hmm. Like so like let's let's be real here. It's erasing the complicit nature of being led down that path. Like yeah. if you were led down that path, like you had a choice. Like you did. I'm sorry. And whether or not like you realize the ramifications of your actions, you still have to like atone. You do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. I think like, like, I, I can't even get into the moral luck thing. Because that is, I didn't know it before this whole discourse dropped. But uh, that is like actually a philosophical concept. Mm-hmm. And I was asking a philosopher friend, Tamsin, who has been on the show before for Hot Girl Dilemmas. I was asking Tamsin about it. And they were trying to explain it to me. But I was like, okay, I have the brain for philosophy of like a third grader. So we're gonna have to talk about this at a different point in time. So I won't even touch on like how this misapplies moral luck because Mm -hmm. I did try to read up on it. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this applies. But I I couldn't tell you why with any authority. But I can definitely tell you that the use of restorative justice in this is I've been having a lot of like talks with people about restorative justice lately over the past like six months or so. Mm -hmm. So whenever I see this pop up, I'm like, my my ears immediately like, "Mm?" (laughs) like, oh, oh, that's the wrong wrong way to talk about that. That ain't it. That ain't This is seriously not it. Yeah, restorative justice should always have the victim centered in in these conversations. It's just so I like, okay, so even even if you're not a marginalized person hurt by Nazi violence or all uh, alt-right violence, you are allowed to mistrust these people. I just want to put that out there. You're If you're a white person that hates Nazis, you're allowed to feel that way. My idea of radical de-radicalization and what that looks like, if someone is truly looking for atonement and looking for forgiveness and looking to enter a space that they previously would not have been welcome in, you have to take that responsibility so seriously. Mm -hmm. And you really do have to prove to the people you're trying to work with that you have like you are ready to Mm -hmm. repair that damage to like make up for that damage. What is not a a good example of de-radicalization is you are a fucking alt-right YouTuber and now you're like a centrist YouTuber or you're a libertarian YouTuber and you're just not racist anymore. And then demanding that everybody fucking listen to you and let you in and access their spaces or access conversations Mm -hmm. or access sensitive information because you fucking feel like you deserve it. Yeah, no, I've I've done the work. I've done this. Oh, it was years ago. And no, you don't get to make that distinction. Also, you're disingenuous as fuck. I don't care who you are. I, I just don't trust I just don't trust that restorative justice isn't a get out of jail free card it's exactly it's it's a it's a gift for you to undergo a process process. exactly for it's a gift for you to undergo a process to like rectify the the thinking that allowed you to make this harm the the action of harm to to create some sort of atonement and for the community to heal from the harm that you did. So you don't get to negotiate the process. You don't get to, you don't get to like do bits and pieces or self call it and say like, oh, I, I did this, let me in. Like you're saying, Rara, it, it's a community driven process. It's that's led by those harms straight the fuck up. And if you can't understand that, like then the process doesn't work. Like it's just already broken down from the jump. Right. And a lot of people are really resistant to those kinds of models of accountability because they don't have to be accountable anywhere else to anybody else like that. If you really want a system that works to protect people and to especially prevent the kind of um, cultural spread that these behaviors Mm -hmm. uh, inspire, if you really want to address, like have a just system, you need to have these restorative processes in place and ready to go. And you need to like, it takes a firm hand. Like sometimes it's not all like sitting around and telling each other your feelings and then being like, oh, you're right. Like we we can Mm -hmm. get along. It's like, no, there's sometimes when it's a very clear cut of like who hurt who and sometimes Mm -hmm. forgiveness is not an option and you know what you Mm -hmm. better be fucking chill with it and 
and move on with your life. And always be very suspicious of people that told that they cannot enter a space or asked to not be in a space and try to enter anyway, or try to find loopholes or petition to like get in these spaces. That is a sign of lacking, you know, of lacking respect and lacking like sincerity of their actual like changes. So those are just some hot tips from some hot, from some hot girls and and take it, (laughs) take it. I feel like I sometimes I is there a gender neutral hot girl like term we can use? That's a good question. I see like for me, I I don't really I think about terms like that. And and this is obviously a very personal choice. Mm -hmm. Like I think about terms like dude and girl and man in the like expletive sense like man as very like devoid of their like gender their gender uh kind of like connotation right um and I also like for me like and and again this is a personal choice like I like to play with that too like sometimes I'll just be like man I'm a I'm a tired guy or like (laughs) she's cute though like you know like and this is part of like the the like fluidity that I'm I'm trying to go for but that's a good question if anyone has an idea like let us know because yeah because I know because I I like ladies and ladies, but I know some yeah. people have issues with that too. So I'm like, is there a compromise here? It was just a, a thought, just a little exclamation on the episode. <laughs> I love it, little acento. But again, like we said, being a hot girl not a not a gendered term on this show anyway. Mm-mm. It's a it's a safe term for y'all. Um, but yeah, this has been a really fun episode, even though the subject matter was pretty serious. Reading that letter out, especially about the stupid ass dad, I'm just really glad we got to work that out together because I have had feelings about it. What what's his what what was his handle? Oh, suddenly the breadwinner suddenly. is on. On site. <laughs> yeah, just, where, where do you live? I just want to talk, you know? I just like, want to talk. <laughs> just, come on. It's okay. I just want to, like, um, take your wife away from you and give her a better life. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be a way better husband. <laughs> yeah, you better be careful, dude. Like, she sounds great. Like, you, you want to be careful with that one. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, y'all. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's High Girl Agenda. Uh, stick around for the bonus episode of Bridgerton coming up after this. And, of course, if you're not subscribed to the Patreon, do that right now. Patreon.com slash Hot Girl Agenda. All right. Peace out. Bye. Bye.